When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents He's in the building! Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. Presented by the Betches Sub Podcast. Better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down. Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi... That's what I've been doing my whole life. And now, with this week's guest... Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by The Betches Sup. Today's guest is Kate Kennedy, host of the Be There in Five podcast. Kate is here to tell us how she turned a doormat company into a thriving and loyal podcast community. And we share our love for pop culture as we dissect some of the latest headlines like Erica Jane's financial scandal and Chrissy Teigen's recent apologies. With that, let's get the tea from Kate. Hi, Kate. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I am really thrilled. I I feel like I'm such a late discoverer of you, but like my appreciation for you is so it just it blossomed immediately. And I really just feel like the listeners of this podcast would really enjoy getting to know you as well. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, I've been uh, a kind of in I've been following Betches for years. And I told you last time we talked, you were one of the nicest companies to me in my early days of my doormat venture. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you. That I'm that really means a lot to me, honestly. You were nice even in 2013. <laughs> I mean, before it was cool I, to be nice. right, but like I was, I was not nice in college, which was <laughs> before. So I feel like I've just always been trying to like rectify being mean in college. To be honest, I feel like we all are. I, it, at a point, it seemed like you had to be kind of mean to survive. That was what was popular in media, and then we realized it was not what we wanted for our lives. And now we're regressing back to like. <laughs> Back to kindness. <laughs> Although, so no, the Blair Waldorf days were like, you felt like you had to be mean to survive. And I feel like that just like, that whole culture coincided with my college years in such a, and being in a sorority in such a way that was just like, was such a bad mix for me. Plus like having no idea who you are yet because you just left your parents home. Oh yeah, you have no idea who you are. And then like you get elected to, you know, head of standards of your sorority and then you just get to judge people professionally. It's like a recipe for disaster. Right. But like the things you're judging them for are like you're in the sorority with them. So chances are you're not that different. <laughs> so it's like uh, uh, I, I will never get over how funny it is to me that we I thought my sorority standards word was the FBI and they had like legitimate bearing and consequence on my life when like they didn't. And I took it so seriously that I'd get called to the office to like for dancing on a table just for like living life as a 19 year old. It's like, God forbid. <laughs> so where did you where did you go to college? What was your what was your college experience like? I went to Virginia Tech and was a business major. And I had a, I had a good college experience, but I often talk about how I didn't understand mental health at the time. And I was definitely pretty depressed in college, but I made the best of it. And I made good friends. But I just think it's such an interesting time where you think you're living in a microcosm of what adult life will be like, only to ultimately realize it has nothing to do with who you are, who you'll ultimately become, or like, nor is it a reflection of how much like flip cup you play in life. We just, it's just uh, so many gin buckets. I don't know. It was a major drinking culture, great school otherwise. Uh, But yeah, it's funny to look back on now because I don't really identify with my college self. Same. That's so true, which is why when you said like you were nice in 2013, I'm like, well, maybe a three or four years earlier, maybe it wouldn't have been the same case. <laughs> no. So it's it's totally true. I I also feel like I didn't have any awareness of mental health or 
it was just like being overridden by like this desire to just like have fun whenever possible. But um, I want I do feel like kids now or I don't think like, not kids, young college age students now have much more of a grasp on their mental health and are like much more willing to talk through it. Absolutely. It, it kind of there. I, I wish I could pinpoint when this happened, but there really was a shift from like to survive. You had to fit in and pretend like nothing was wrong to it being an important part of your story and identity to talk about how you're struggling. And I would never have done that when I was younger. And I, it's really empowering to see the young people on TikTok being so forthcoming about what they suffer suffer from. And it just like, I don't know, there's a lot of negatives, obviously, of TikTok and social media, but it's at least cool that people are normalizing that those sort of emotions. Right. It really is, especially when like you consider that I feel like some of the reason we're also like repressed or like our generation has struggled so much with this is because we were sort of taught like don't not we were not taught how to label our emotions or to that it was important to express them to like work through them. Like there was no training on that. So like there needs to be like an emotions class, but there was never that. Yeah, You know, in the boy meets world, they're, they're like life's tough. Get a helmet. I feel like that was like the mantra for the better part of my adolescence. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was like, yeah, like struggling and just sucking it up was the most important thing because you had to just somehow persevere. I feel like that shift happens like, I don't know the exact, I can't point to a day, but I do feel like it was sometime around like the combination of like the Me Too movement and watching certain things like watching certain situations where People were victimized and very acute situations like between like the George Floyd video and like, uh, what's her name? Christine Blasey Ford at Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. Like you watch sort of these people who had to advocate for themselves over and over again who were silenced. And then I think once that ha- like those combination of of things happened, mm-hmm. I feel like the floodgates really open to people's feelings. I totally agree. I think the yeah, I mean, the Trump administration, I think so much happened during that, that made people second guess their own instincts and realize their own internalized misogyny and biases that existed. And like the the Kavanaugh trial was huge in terms of me just being like, oh, my God, a lot of these things I've experienced and normalized and felt coerced by in my life, like we're never okay. But it, it takes time to break through and kind of unravel that normalizing that's been done, especially with my interaction with like frat boys and stuff. Yeah, that was, uh, there were so many interesting turning points where I think we chose empathy uh, throughout the 2010s that I think were, I don't know, hopefully are sustainable changes being made. But it certainly was not my go to sentiment for much of my life. And I look back and I'm like, I was kind of trying to survive and when you're so when the introspection of the self is so heavy you're not like looking at the world and looking out for other people you just see everything as a reflection of yourself and i i feel like that's one of the nicer parts about getting older is you actually like see people and hear people and their experiences you know so tr- that is so true I, I even think back to just like how we started betches like we were i think satirizing that like toughness like the suck it up just be the thing that society wants you to be and like be the best at that. Um, But that I feel like probably, I mean, I was never that person for real. So, you know, (laughs) it obviously came from a place of understanding the gap between like myself and that ideal. But um, while we're talking origin stories, can you, you have a very interesting one and you've really like navigated a bunch of pivots in a very interesting way. Yeah, sorry. If we just I, I forget since I talk for a living too. I just launch into things and don't even introduce myself. <laughs> I apologize. For the audience, yeah, for the audience, Kate, you know, does a podcast where she just carries the entire thing for forever. And it's very impressive. So Oh, you're nice. But I also need to be uh stopped sometimes when I start talking. But uh no, you're nice to have me on and I'm I I do have kind of a weird story and uh I try to tell it as fast as I can, but Basically, I I had a corporate marketing job. I worked for a major market research company. I actually loved my corporate job. And I was just kind of looking for a creative outlet. I'm very forgetful. And I started painting 
things like turn off your curling iron and turn off your straightener on doormats. And I called them remind doormats. And I was like, these are kind of funny. I put them on Etsy, uh, in 2014 actually. And, um, they kind of just completely took off in a way I didn't see coming an Australian radio station made it into a meme, which is how it, it was, this was peak meme culture too. And, um, I got hundreds of thousands of likes in a night and thousands of comments. It was like this ultimate focus group that kind of led me to make it into a legitimate company. I called it be there and five for the type of person that like runs behind. And um, after a year and change, I had to quit my job to streamline and get the business up and running. And then about two years in, I had kind of made myself obsolete and outsourced a lot of the operation and figured out the business piece. I couldn't get rehired at a corporate job. And it was kind of this weird feeling of having I felt like I took on the world doing something entrepreneurial and that I had no experience in, yet this experience wasn't relevant to my corporate experience that I had built up over working there for six, almost seven years. And um, I kind of had to stop, start back at square one and uh, go back to basics and be like, what do I like? How can I make money? I'm self-employed. What do I do? And I was kind of floundering. And during this time, I just pursued two things that were natural interests of mine. One was I wrote a book called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star um, that ultimately got published and came out in 2018. That's a parody of social media. And then I also started a podcast with same name, Be There in Five, because when I was painting doormats, when I was in the thick of self-employment and alone and having a really hard time, uh, podcasts were my company. And I loved long form podcasts and everything was moving in the kind of direction of short, quippy news uh, type podcast. But I was like, what if like I, uh, you know, woman was able to talk for a long period of time about my interests. Like, can you imagine? And um, I kind of just wanted to elevate pop culture conversations, not just talk about what happened, but like, what does it mean? And why does it matter? And that's how the Be There in Five podcast started. And it's a long form, single hosted show that's about pop culture, millennial lifestyle adjacent topics, where I kind of just muse about a variety of my interests and tried to make the niche less about the topics themselves and more about the format in which it's delivered, which, um, you know, according to most podcast best practices, long form nor single female host is usually the best route, but I've really enjoyed it. And it's now become my full-time job. So did you feel like it was, you know, I know when podcasting like began, it was a very male, you could argue it still is like a very male industry. How did you like grapple with that? Did you feel like, because you just said like, oh, me, a woman could could talk for a long time. But I mean, it doesn't really seem that crazy to me at this point, at least. Right. And I kind of laugh because, you know, I think early on the length, it was a reflection of my own preferences with podcasts, but also see, being singularly hosted, it was kind of by default. I didn't really have somebody to do it with. I would have loved to co-host. It's there's so many times that I would just in terms of somebody to bear the weight of kind of, you know, the 24 seven feedback loop and the research. And it just would be nice to have a partner at times. But I think that what I started to notice is that I was doing nothing different than Joe Rogan or Bill Simmons or the, the men that get on and famously successfully talk for hours a day. And I was doing hours a week, but the feedback and reviews were like so rambly, so long winded, make it shorter, so long. And it just became a running joke of like, yeah, I'm giving, I mean, in giving you extra, you can, you can parse it up. It just was interesting that people complained about it being too much and people really focused on the rambling. And I just wasn't hearing that about uh, male hosts and not to make everything about that. But I do think in the podcasting space at a point I I really did feel like I was unfairly being uh, getting negative feedback for just talking for longer than most people did. And if you didn't want to listen to the whole thing, you don't have to. And it was an interesting experience. Yeah, no, I think that definitely you're in a unique position to see how you doing essentially what is the equivalent of these men, how it's perceived differently, because you're right. No one's ever like, oh, Howard Stern should just shorten his show. Yeah. Shut your pie hole, Stern. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. 
Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are for dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Okay, so some of your like fascinations, which I feel like builds like almost the backbone of your audience, like the people who love these things and the way you talk about them. So like you have these interests that are so they're the kind of things that I feel like my friends and I like talk about on the side and it's like oh you follow this random Mormon mommy blogger and like why do you think it's interesting and they're these sort of like shared random interests and so how do you like pick your topics yeah I think that it it, it honestly it, it ha- I, I could not talk for as long as I do if I wasn't sincerely interested. And the topics are a little all over the place because it's what I'm sincerely interested in and thinking about that week. But with the, yeah, to your point about bloggers or, you know, going back through sorority stories or crowdsourcing stories about like being a bridesmaid or whatever, it's, it's kind of both pop culture and like millennial lifestyle experiences that are just funny and are talked about so much within friend groups, but not like, or I see stuff talked about on like message boards, like the reddits of the world, but it's not talked about on like e-news. I love the type of topics that are like the hottest pop culture news that no one's covering yet. Everyone's talking about. Yeah. I, I, you know, whether it's my Facebook group or just perusing Instagram and TikTok, I kind of just log that week, what I'm interested in, what I'm thinking about. And I'll either do what I call a snorkel, which is where I go through a lot of different topics quickly or a deep dive. And the deep dives typically have to be two things something I've either experienced myself or I have like professional experience in and can add value to and something I'm like deeply, deeply interested in. Otherwise I won't do it. I can't do it. Like the most, most recently I went through like the whole Rachel Hollis saga and it turned into like a three part series. And um, I was specifically interested in that as a person who started a business and felt like a huge victim of like hustle girl boss culture. When I say victim, I mean, I just felt like I had to be working 24 seven to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, Totally. So you talk, yeah, you talk a lot about like MLMs, scammers, like various schemes. And I just like wonder, like, why do you think this era is so ripe for like puffery and people who are pretending that they're someone they're not? That's a really good question. I feel like there was a, especially what year was it? 2019, where we were obsessed with Anna Delvey and Elizabeth Holmes and Caroline Calloway, and it was like female scammers RS. It was, that was an interesting time. And I, I think that uh, like, okay, somebody like me, I like scammers listening to and absorbing scammer related media coverage because I don't like true crime. I don't find any peace in hearing about somebody's horrible, tra- horrible tra- tragedy or murder, right? Yeah. It's just not how I relax. But I, I genuinely am interested in hearing the inner workings of a mastermind of a person that was able to pull off some sort of revenue generating operation and, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes for years at a time. It Like the Elizabeth Holmes thing captivated me. And yeah, I, so I don't, it's like, I'm sure the scammers were always there. I just think the, the demand is there for true crime-like coverage. And I think people like me find this far more palatable. And I don't know if there's other people that feel the same. You know, you I never really thought it like, I just know I don't really like hearing about murders and things like that because like, I don't like blood. Like, I don't like anything too graphic. Same. It just unsettles me. Like, I don't need that. But this is like, it's still, they can be very harmful. Like, let's be, let's be real. They oh, can really screw people up. But it's just a little bit more enticing, I think, to hear about like, what is that personality that was able to pull this off? And yes. what about them? Could someone else have done it? What, what tools did they use? Like, how did they use their social media? Which I think is probably like why it's these stories become so common, I think, because so much of it is manipulating just an impression. Yeah. And, and I think it's kind of like, I don't know, when you hear somebody 
dies that you don't know your first thought of, like that's your age you're like well how when I, you hear somebody got completely blindsided and scammed you're just like well how like how can it's almost an obsession of like with the, the dirty john type character that is so charismatic and sociopathic and manipulates everyone around them into believing their version of the truth it's terrifying to think we walk on this earth with people that could be doing that to us at all times and something about that is i guess masochistically interesting in a sense of wanting to tear it like pick apart the inner workings the infrastructure of a person that's able to pull this off so like i don't (laughs) ultimately become a victim of one (laughs) because i'm so trusting (laughs) Yeah, I I I'm pretty trusting too, but I do think that now like now my antennas are up and I feel like I can almost pick out like the symptom like I I feel like now having read about so many like sociopaths and nar- narcissists, I like can I have signs that just like boop, that's a sign. And yeah, no, it's so interesting to think about how there are people who I think I read that like there's like 4% or something of the country just cannot feel empathy. And that is typically what leads to, I think, a lot of these illicit schemes or whatever, whatever route the person chooses to go into. Right. And, and I think, that, you know, if you take it a step farther and there's a lot of arguments for how some of the best surgeons and uh, most allegedly effective CEOs like have sociopathic tendencies because certain positions of power, a person with an extreme level of empathy could ne- actually never get to that position or operate on a human in that way or blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, this is really confusing because there's a lot of arguments for how there's some people like a li- little to no empathy is necessary for some vocations, which I think is really fascinating in that that doesn't always manifest in like evil doing, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I could talk about sociopaths all day. <laughs> I think about this often. <laughs> yeah, no, it is so, it's so interesting and how I think, especially when you get to someone who is get attaining those really complex positions of power, sometimes do you ever find yourself, and I'm asking this because I some how do find yourself almost like amazed by the force of personality and will that is able to make certain things happen so effectively, even if they're wrong, unethical, immoral, totally fake. Like sometimes I'm just wowed that that humans have a capability to pull off this level of whatever it is. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's maybe I'm so obsessed with it because I just don't identify with it because I feel almost maybe to a fault, like so deeply self-conscious of so many of my interactions with people. Like I feel, I still am worried because on Saturday night, I felt like somebody was like the first bar night in Chicago and somebody was like very blatantly hitting on my husband. And I felt, I was like kind of cold to her and I'm like, still, I still feel bad about it. But, like, <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about you scamming anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but cause I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like most people you want, to be liked, you want to have positive interactions. Like I want to live in a pleasant world. And uh, I think that when people are able to just pull one over on everyone on such a large scale consistently and sleep at night, it's just something I don't identify with. And like, I, that's, I don't know, but I, I, I think it's really hard to dissect what elements of charisma are like problematic, you know? Right. And, and also in some instances, like arguably like I've seen people argue this about Caroline Calloway or like Billy McFarland is that like with fire festival, like they really did believe that they could do it. (laughs) So while, so while they were also like doing scammy unethical things, like he was like submitting false documents. Like I do believe that he believed that this was going to happen. Let's say. Yeah. That's what's that. That's what's so confusing is I think that, um, I've seen the same argument with Elizabeth Holmes and that she like really, she was so deeply inexperienced or maybe Billy was in the event space that uh, there's a level of density that and delusion that believes you're doing the right thing or working toward the right thing. And everything you're doing is the means to get to the, like this outcome you're promising. And even though you aren't there yet, you like genuinely convince yourself it's there, but at the same time, yeah, like, 
the amount of money and stuff poured into Firefest and the right. people involved, somebody should have stepped in at some point. But if somebody's being so convincing or like the WeWork guy, yeah, uh, the, these people are so confident and convincing you. It's almost that gaslighting feeling of like, well, am I crazy? Because I don't see what you're seeing. He's pretty sure. And who am I to rain on this parade? Yeah. I think it's almost like a toxic combination of like inexperience, good intent. Maybe there's good intention on some level, but ultimately it's that like overconfidence that allows them to get close enough to fail and to actually right. be the scammer. Like it's like the it's like the overconfidence and the charisma which could work in one's favor actually sort of end up screwing them over. Oh, absolutely. And before I forget, I want to do you feel like in retrospect Caroline Calloway was is very unfairly grouped into the Anna mm. Delvey I do. I like do. Firefest type scammer. Like she comes up when you google like a real legitimate scandal, like Elizabeth Holmes, who like gave people wrong medical information and raised billions of dollars. It's just like not the same that she ordered all those mason jars. <laughs> Caroline Calloway didn't have investors. <laughs> like she just like had a pallet of jars in her home. And like every influencer has a class, has a coaching course. Ha- it does crap like that. It's kind of crazy the bad rap she got for it. I think there was a few, a few unfortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it a few I don't really factors remember. in that story yeah. that ultimately were very poignant for people it was the book that she never wrote it was oh, yeah. the fact that she was like pretending to be this like rich oxford student and then in reality that was not real so like it was like the lie about the identity the 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 book that never happened the her whole i think um just her whole demeanor on social media right? Um, that was very unserious, I think sort of led. And then when the, the thing actually collapsed and then the article by her friend who wrote her captions, there was just like a lot the of ghost writer. <laughs> yeah. Caption okay. writer. You're right. I forgot. There were several compounded events. I was thinking of just the, like the class and the Mason jars. And as a, yeah, the book advance and the not writing it is is wild. I forgot about that too. Right. I think it's like her repeated small offenses sort of like put her in the category, because like she's a college student, like no one's giving her like a series right. A, like, you know, funding for her workshop business. But she but, got a $300,000 book advance, right? Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's a, that's a good amount. So I mean, yeah, that's crazy now that I think about it. But she, she's like it was a scammer almost like the, the wrong angel. time. Like it was just juicy, and it was at the time when this scammer was the hot topic. Totally. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Okay, so now we got to talk about like the scammer that who is in the news right now. And we are right now in the frenzy of the Erica Jane and Tom Girardi situation. Did you watch the documentary? I watched it last night. I think I fell asleep when I had like 20 minutes left. I was I was fuming. Yeah. Aside from your reaction, which I do want to know. I want to know if you think she knew. 
So I've always thought they lived pretty separate lives and they've kind of, they kind of had like an arrangement where she did her own thing. He did his own thing. He worked constantly. They've been together for a long time. I, I don't know. I I think that at a point, like she's one of those people that almost her entire persona is based off of like, I play a character that you might think is dumb, but I'm really smart and I'm really strong. And I like know what's going on. And I think that you would hope that it, with that level of money, that kind of cash flow, you would have an idea of its origin. You would have an idea of the vague financials of your husband of how, what, 20 plus years firm. Um, it's just like, I don't know. It, it's, but at the same time, like, I don't know what my husband is doing day in and day out. He doesn't listen to my podcast and I don't let him listen to my podcast, <laughs> but like I, it, spouses don't always know the inner workings. It's just that what's, but also like he was funding it a $40,000 a month, like glam budget that produced no return admittedly by her. It was a level of money that was kind of unbelievable. And it's crazy that nobody at the firm or nobody else really kind of like stepped in at a point if it was going on for the better part of a decade. So apparently this is one of those situations where like, he was the only one with the access to the books, which is in my always a red flag. You got to have like multiple eyes on the books always. But like, yeah, I, I sort of go back and forth on it too. Like she could have, he could have spelled it out for her. Maybe like part of me can picture him spelling it out for her being like, here's where we are. Just like, want to be honest with you. And then there's the part of me who's like, she knew, but only because she picked up on it. And because he was like, I'm investing 20 million into EJ Global, wink, wink. Like, right. or like, because, uh, yeah, he's sort there's sort of this relationship where she's almost like, he's almost like her father, where Agreed. he's going to be like, oh, so I put in an extra 20 million into your account. Like, I don't know. Like, it, Mm, I don't know. But then her lack of remorse. Right. And her lack of like any, I don't know, when you see her in the trailer and she won't, the trailer's for Beverly Hills and she won't like, she's like, nobody knows but him. I'm like, that doesn't sound real. And the other thing too is like I the listening to the voicemails, he left the victims being like, I'm a good guy. Don't be mad at me. It was just like, this deeply disturbing behavior of somebody that's trying to be charismatic and paint themselves as a good guy, making every single excuse and talking to you in a way like it's not up for negotiation. Like I know what's best. And with that father-like relationship of her marriage, I almost wonder if there, is there a condescending way things were explained to her that made it not a hospitable environment to ask questions or push back. Were they having those conversations? But also to your point about the lack of remorse, I agree. I don't know if this is a limitation of her legal situation, but if that were me and I realized what, and especially hearing the victim stories and stuff, and I just paraded for over five years, all of like my luxurious, excessive, opulent lifestyle. And I saw that these people were legitimately suffering because of the money I had spent. I would liquidate everything. I would do everything in my power to get money in these people's hands. I would, I wouldn't focus on like, I didn't know I'm pissed at my husband. I would focus on making it right. And I don't know if she can't do that, but like that to me would show some semblance of innocence, but she just seems really focused on like, how many fucks do I give? And is still like posting away about her, like in kind of these styled high editorialized photo shoots. And I'm like, what are you doing? This isn't helping. Yeah. I mean, when I do, I do imagine that she can't liquidate it because that might be considered an admission of guilt. Right. Like that's sort true, of like, true, my true, number. True. like I, I do feel like maybe that, but there's still a way to act. Like she could be more passive about it right. or she could be less scripted or not post as much or keep your posting super low-key like right not flaunting wealth in it but like what what you were saying about her condescending relationship remember when she first came on the show and the women had a fight at like their house or something at dinner and she was like tom was so embarrassed he said that was like unacceptable for us to for that sort of behavior which felt a little bit like patronizing. Totally. And and it, I almost feel like the, uh, like she always talked about her split persona, Eric, like Mrs. Girardi and 
Erica Jane. And I, Erica Jane almost seemed developed in contrast to be more in touch with who she was. And I feel like Mrs. Girardi was kind of a, I don't know, submissive conduit to get money. Yeah. And, and I don't know what, I don't, it never seemed like the, I think she wanted to present it as like a very even power dynamic and a healthy relationship, but I, it's kind of hard to imagine that was the case. And I think that him funding her venture, like, did she just think he had tons of unlimited funds? Like, I don't know, maybe, but like, uh, why would he ever, this is what I do not understand. Why, if, if you're doing shady stuff, why put yourself in the spotlight? It's, it's going right. to, it, you're going to get caught. Well, that's an argument for maybe why she didn't know. Like, yeah. But then I'm like, no, they do that all the time. People like think how many people who are running these things do put themselves in the spotlight. And that's like key to what they're doing. But I think what's interesting with him is that we're used to the narcissist scammer being the main character. But we know Tom Girardi through Beverly Hills. And he's like probably the 10th most important person on the show. Like, <laughs> yeah. so so we're not used to like the scammer not being the center of attention, which I think makes it maybe like harder for us to to parse because it's not like we have a full focus on their behavior. Totally. I mean, like Lucy Lucy Applejuice is a bigger star than Tom Girardi. I feel like I know nothing devastating, about Devastating. Devastating. <laughs> yeah, he's he's such a side character and he's just been kind of painted as this older, benevolent supportive type character and now i kind of want to go back and watch for the small moments of his character to see what their dynamic was really like but at the same time i'm so deeply disgusted that victims that just need that needed like nominal installment payments for necessary surgeries that have nothing lost their homes lost family members they're watching her like parade around you know berlin in a hundred thousand dollar red vinyl outfit with a five-person glam squad in tow it's just like it, it it i don't know you just pray that nobody could be that insensitive it's so it, it i was i think in the documentary they were like the reason that he got away with it is because it's inconceivably unethical like nobody would do yeah. this it's so bad yeah and also he was in the pockets of like all the people who could have stopped him <laughs> that helped too Okay, that's that. That's the other thing that, like, ugh, I, the yeah. abuse of power there of like the w- one woman who was saying like, oh, we, we could go to like the courts, we could go to the California Bar Association, but all these people, uh, law enforcement, everything they were like he had connections with, and maybe that's too why it's okay to go on TV because you just assume that you know everybody and they're not gonna you know they'll go to bat for you i'm not sure but then like they made the point of teresa teresa went to jail but some of these housewives are in you know involved in huge scandals and like nothing seems to happen right like when is mary cosby gonna come like i'm waiting like i'm literally every day i ask will today be the day that something comes out about mary cosby Uh, uh, dorit's okay yeah dorit oh I was, my friend, oh, there's something going on there. Like, my friend was selling, sending me, like, all these, like, deeds the other night about, like, the house that Dorit is selling through oh, Mauricio. How do I get on this deed group chat? What is oh, you? yeah. Oh, and he's, like, really into real estate. So he, like, knows how to, and a lawyer. So he knows how to find things. Like, this is the problem. I really am interested in this shit, but I can't find anything because I'm horrible at research. Like, I'm horrible <laughs> at, like, finding a random public document, you know? And like understanding what it says. It's not. No, it's really challenging. But yeah, I mean, the last question I'm sort of left with is like, where did the money go? Because like, he was very successful. If he settled a a number of very high dollar lawsuits, plus his name was on the firm, plus he's old. So like when you're old, your stock portfolio has a lot of time to grow. You have a lot of time to accumulate wealth. So his, so I wasn't like, oh, there's no way they can afford that house which I question Lisa Vanderpump's season one house. How did she have that when she only had one restaurant in LA? Okay. Anyway. Um, (laughs) Don't get me started on the Vanderpump portfolio. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was impossible. And then in the, in the documentary, he says he had 80 million and it's gone. Where is it? It didn't all go to glam. It didn't. Right. And uh, that's, what's a little, so I I guess my takeaway and tell me if, this is your understanding too. It's like, 
what we what seems to be obviously true is that the victim's settlement went to his personal expenditures. We don't know the division in terms of what went to Erica Jane's career. And honestly, if it, it doesn't it's really fungible. does that even matter? Because like the bottom line is the funds were taken. We don't know where they all went. And the really the only defense sounds like hit is them claiming that he has uh Alzheimer's, right? Right. That is the like, new there's no story. defense that like this didn't happen. It's that right, but he didn't he have wasn't Alzheimer's when he of, did it. Right. The, the, <laughs> so like they're they're basically just trying to find anything they can because there's really no defense to me, it sounds like. But maybe I don't know if we're want him missing to to- part of it. I think maybe they just don't want him to have to talk. But then I'm like, why did he even need the client funds? He's a very wealthy lawyer. So like, where did that, where did like the the regular wealthy lawyer money go? Oh, I understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, where did like the, the money that he's entitled to go is because like, there's a lot of that, you know? Right. And and so I guess I don't understand the his business. Like, was he predominantly doing class action type work and representing like this small guy and were his payouts big. Like they were, they are known to be big across the board. Yeah. Like he was very, he was like the guy. Oh yeah. To go to for this. Like he could have made, you know, he could have made a really good living. I think like uh, maybe I I have like a distorted view of it, but like, I feel like when a lawyer, when you know a lawyer's name, they're probably going to be pretty, they're going to have a lot of earning potential. Like if I, a random person yeah. on the street knows a lawyer's name. Right. Like they're, yeah. It, it, traditional jobs, I don't pay a ton of attention to like lawyers, doctors, chefs. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. When you know their name, you know, they're onto something. Well, I, I think that, yeah, that's a really good point about just his regular salary. And I think that's a bigger question of, uh, when people, uh, when wealthy people get to a level of wealth, they have to maintain or exceed that level of ongoing cash flow to be able to sustain their lifestyle. And I think that's what gets a lot of people screwed over. Mm-hmm. I think I totally think you're right. And I think it's unless you maybe have a lot of experience with wealth and managing your own wealth, I think probably like the faster you get wealthy the harder it is because you think, oh, I have like all of this, but you don't realize like actually you need to like, you don't always have all of that. Like that was just like the one time. I don't know. Maybe he was just like really bad at managing his finances or maybe he had like, who knows, like a second family he was funding. Who knows? I'm speculating. And they said he was like a huge donor to uh, a huge political donor. I mean, I just think about like their Pasadena mansion. Remember how like a chapel in it? Yeah, like, you could have just saved that money. Like, you really could have <laughs> saved that money. You don't need the right. regional jet and the cross-country jet. Right. And and then I think it's, like, her on the Wendy Williams show, that clip where she was like, oh, I flew commercial here. Like, it is a business plane after all. But that's an interesting thing of people this high executive level is the intermixing of business and personal and usage of company funds and assets for personal right. reasons. And, like... I, I know it's and the did you watch hacks i i loved hacks yeah okay like in hacks when the guy when she takes pictures of all the art that he wrote on his company right yeah i don't want to ruin it for anyone but that was a good example of it i think hacks was such a uh it, it's such a timely show especially in that at least something I talk about on my podcast a lot. Like I was an early adopter of TikTok just because I thought it was like a fascinating spectacle and people very early, like hated it, like the dancing and stuff, but I don't want to be one of those bitter older people that doesn't get what younger people are doing, because here's the thing. It's not going to go away. You got to get on board. So you have to at least know what's going on. And I feel like hacks is an interesting dynamic of yeah, Deborah Vance and the Gen Z writer, her just being so resistant toward changing toward what's popular, toward what young people like. And you, you gotta, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily celebrate it, but you gotta at least accept it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like you just have to be aware, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. 
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. All right. I just want to switch to one other pop culture topic that we are talking about this week, and that is Chrissy Teigen's long apology. What do you like? What do you think of Chrissy Teigen and her her recent antics and what's been going on there? Because she was so beloved. And then I feel like something just switched. I know. And and it's it's hard to reconcile because like on the one hand, when things are like old to the tune of a decade plus and you like what we want is for people to evolve and change of course like you don't want to discourage that um but at the same time her the interactions she had with like um courtney stodden for example they were cruel they were mean mean it wasn't a passing weird political comment you made out of context when you're you're getting all your political intel from your small town uh it, it was a cruel bullying like outreach that apparently she did multiple times that it feels more indicative of like a person's character than it does a passing moment in time. And I think that's, what's hard to reconcile and move on from is it just seemed cruel. And as, and especially in recent years, she's had so much trouble with online bullies uh, right. for her to be the ultimate bully is like, okay, come on. But it, yeah, it, it allegedly was a long time ago. And then the the guy from project runway came out this week and said, he she like destroyed his career and posted screenshots of their DMs and they were really ugly. And I don't know. It's like, do I understand the narrative of like, I used to be someone else. I've evolved. I've worked hard. I'm different now. Of course, I feel we all feel that way about ourselves. Um, but at the same time, she was already famous. She was kind of leveraging that power and celebrity to bully somebody else. And she, she I just don't love that anybody would ever say the extreme things she did and feel comfortable with it in the position she was in at that time. So it's tough. Right. I find it a little surprising to be some of the things that she said, like the, the specificity of them, the yeah, like vicious specificity was shocking to me because like, I always thought like if she were to be a bully, she'd be kind of like, you know, like a little bit like, like, not like that kind of thing. Not like a, anything to do with suicide or like that's a different type of bullying I think than like just making fun of someone's like outfit you know absolutely it's not a joke that didn't land it's not an insensitive attempt at uh like you know comedic it's not like satire not roasting somebody It, it wasn't even trying to be funny it was just deliberate and 
uh, yeah, it's, and then, you know, the long apology, it's like, I get it, but I just don't know where we go from here. And I think what, where I struggle with, um, cancel culture and with like sharing my thoughts when people have these kind of epic screw ups and apology tours is people want there to be like a unilateral positioning or a way we look at these people like are they done or are they not done like are they canceled or are they still good and like I don't know I think there's a spectrum and I think while she you know rightfully should have been dropped from partnerships and she needs to face consequence and people should probably be aware of this side of her like I think the weird part about cancel culture too is sometimes sometimes it's not really real and doesn't really happen and people move on and thrive anyway and a person at her level has the funds and the like equity of celebrity to keep themselves afloat in between scandals. Whereas cancel culture kind of really does take down and take everything from people who don't have that privilege. So it's, it, it's not the repercussions aren't always the same. Right. That's so true. And I think that like with her, she almost had this like slow rolling cancellation where it's less about like a flash in the pan moment where they just said something fucked up. And it's more about like a longer term exposure. I think you see something similar with like Daniel Bernstein of We Wore What, where it's sort of like, it's not like one thing where like they have to go away that day and like they can come back in like a month or whatever. It's like repeated offenses of a similar type and with like an underlying really bad ethical flavor. Um, Right. And I almost feel like those are a little bit worse because it's like a long-term diminishing of one's reputation rather than like a, a blip. But yeah, you're so right about how like people like Chrissy Teigen have the means to stay afloat where like, I don't know, you look at someone who might just get like fired from their job. They don't. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think, yeah, Danielle Bernstein's a really interesting case study too of it almost gets to a point where the default setting is controversy. Like they're they're almost sustained and made relevant by the tendency to disappoint and mess up, but it doesn't meaningfully seem to move the needle or impact business. It almost just becomes part of the character. And it, it, it's not that they're no, they're no longer held accountable to this, you know, Twitter code of ethics or whatever you want to call it, because like the expectation is now just scandal. And it, it then it becomes confusing because then people's interest levels almost peaked because of it. And so that's an example of cancel culture kind of benefiting somebody in a weird way. So it's like this term that encompasses so many different outcomes that are not equal at all. And it's, yeah, it's a really tricky conversation. Right. But that question you, you, think everyone wants to answer like are they done i think that's what drives like the extreme bullying online which is like they want to make sure that they are done like yeah we want to be sure they're done and then there's this like are they really done but it's like that remains to be seen based on like their future behavior you know their how their audience what their audience is like do they do they does this bother them like and then like what pr are they getting involved what are what is their next move that's how like we don't know if they're going to be done they could be but they could not be right and it goes back to the trope of all press is good press in a weird way of like with social media followings there's there isn't a strong correlation between like quality and popularity i mean popularity comes from so many different places besides just being a high quality creator celebrity or business owner whatever it is and uh i think in a weird way we're i'm I'm trying to give an example of somebody that i feel like was truly done and kind of fell off the face of the earth but i'm struggling like harvey weinstein because he's now in jail like you know what i mean like criminals yeah people who are dealing with real legal issues that they like will acknowledge unlike Jen Shaw. Um, But then like Anna Delvey sold her story to Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, right. I've also heard of some, like cancellations have also educated me about people I never knew even existed. That's the other thing that's so crazy is that like you want to cancel them, but actually thank you for teaching me who they are. Right. And I think that's the interesting like double-edged sword is, yeah, you learn who people are sometimes. And then sometimes through these, alleged cancellations, I learn a lot about 
what this person said incorrectly, how it should have been more sensitively approached. I've learned a lot as a person who speaks for a living. I've, I learned from people who are educating people who are rightfully being held accountable for saying something out of turn or insensitive. And that's a really positive thing. I think when there's an educational component for the public, it's a great byproduct. But when it gets to the, a point where people are just digging and fishing for things out of context to take somebody down for their own personal agenda or delight, and there's not a broader lesson in, uh, you know, not political correctness, but uh, a broader lesson in doing the right thing that you did wrong. Like so often it just doesn't seem like there's any value to it other than people on the internet just like really want to see people fail. And that kind of bums me out. Yeah, no, that is, I, yeah, I think a lot of it is just like glee at watching another's downfall. Like life is hard. And I think people just want to feel like life is hard for someone else too. And if like, I don't think that's necessarily like a virtuous position to take, obviously, but I think there are a lot of people out there who really, that is their like MO. That's how they approach life. If it's bad for me, it has to be bad for someone else too. And it's interesting because the, the uh, kind of conventional or wisdom or the collective attitude of Twitter on a given day towards somebody you're made to feel like it's a majority consensus of people, but it's actually a really small segment of very vocal people that, and, and I, I don't know anybody in my real life who's one of those really vocal, aggressive people toward public figures on the internet. And I'm just so curious. I, I wish, I think there maybe is a documentary, but I need more documentaries following like online trolls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who these people are. <laughs> I saw this headline that it was like trolling is like a symptom of like sadism, narcissism, sociopathy or something like the big trio. I think it, it comes. I think it's like we all have urges. Like, I don't know. You could have an urge to like drink alcohol. You could have an urge to shop. Like, I actually think there are people who's like their urge is writing mean things on the Internet. Like it gives them the high that someone might get from something else. What do you think their vice was before the internet? Like, how would you manifest those feelings if you didn't have, like, Reddit? Probably, like, talking shit to people you actually know about people you know. Like, probably stirring the pot in your own personal life Yeah, with Mean Girls, you know? That's so true. I mean, I, I, I live for a, a dramatic PTA chain or a next door argument. There are some people that just really like to start stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. There's people who are like trying to start shit like in their lives. And I don't know that that to me is like incredibly stressful. But agree. yeah. Okay, so I want to close out. I can't believe it took us so long to get to this because I know the audience definitely cares about this. Many of them, many of you, you are a huge Taylor Swift fan, as am I. And you are throwing an event like to bring Swift fans together in Chicago. Can you tell me like, how did you like... First of all, I'm just mad I'm not there. Um, how did this come together? Well, first of all, you should come. I know a guy. Oh, you, you know, know a guy. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're free. Uh, when, when is it? And where? this isn't even like a plug. I'm genuinely just curious. <laughs> uh, it's July 24th on the anniversary of folklore in uh, Chicago in Booker Park. But yeah, I'm excited. It's so I've right before quarantine, I was starting to tour and then had a bunch of dates cancel. And then we're in quarantine and she drops two albums, Lover Fest gets canceled. So I'd always kind of promise something, promise people like when we can all get together again, like I'll do something special uh, where we can just like relish in our fandom. And I'm also kind of on this kick lately of like encouraging myself and my listeners to just like let yourselves exist and to like the things you like. And I feel like for the better part of my youth, I pretended to not like music like Taylor Swift music. Uh, because I, I was like, oh, I love the Lumineers. Like, yeah, they're fine. But like, I didn't love the Lumineers. Like, I was listening to Red yeah. on repeat at the time. Uh, yeah, no, Taylor Swift is, is my, like, most, most played. I'll listen to other things, but, you know. Yeah, and she obviously had a tough edit for a long time and kind of became this lightning rod for many things, but of basic interests. And the But the bottom line is she's, and that's incredibly positive as a public figure. She's so such a talented lyricist. Her music is unprecedented and in the transversing two categories world. And I'm just like such a fan and a proud fan. And uh, so many of my listeners are fans because I'll, I deep dive for albums and stuff. So yeah, instead of just a regular old live show, I figured for the first one, we'd do like a hybrid 
kind of more of an experience and it's like a half live show, half dance party after party where I'm just going to play Taylor Swift music. Cause every time I'm in a bar or in like in a public place, I'm like, I, I wish I was just listening to Taylor Swift music. That's never going to happen unless you're at a concert, but her concerts were canceled. So I'm kind of trying to fill the void of like just to, being fans and unabashedly dancing and enjoying a, an artist we love in the same space after a ha- like horrible long year where we haven't been able to get together and celebrate the things we love. So yeah, I called it track five because of the be there and five of it all. But also those that represents like her vulnerable song in each album. Yeah. And I feel like we're kind of at a vulnerable turning point right now. And um, I yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. And we might do it uh, on the East Coast and West Coast. And then I'll move on to like my regular touring. But I just want to do something fun for people is the bottom line. I love that. Can you get her to come? I feel like you could. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I'm like terrified to even be suggesting to use her likeness because I don't I'm not trying to use it to sell tickets because I know people will come. But like I wanted it to kind of be Swift adjacent, but she's, you know, polices her uh, her uh, Everything. IP very intensely. And I would be devastated. I know. I know. If they came I just hope me. she, uh, you know, it would be amazing if, if she showed she up. It. Like It's celebratory. I know. It's amazing. Okay, Kate, this has been so fun. I love talking to you. I really feel like I could talk to you all the time about everything that happens. And now I just like want to know your opinion about everything. So where can people find you? Reiterate it for them. Because I feel like I really hope yes. that we are just, I hope to be introducing you all to the magic of Kate Kennedy and be there in five. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so nice. Thank you for having me on. You need to come on my podcast anytime. anytime. I can never report on anything. I'd love to. You can find me on Instagram at be there in five F I V E, not the number five in the uh, podcast. It's called Be There in Five, as well. That's awesome, Kate. Thank you so much. I love talking to you. Thank you. Likewise. Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.